Hi, my name is Erin Phelps, and you're listening to We Live in a Music Society. This podcast is a project of mine in which I interview musicians that I think are doing really cool things right now and ask them questions about all the really cool things they're doing with a slight sociological angle. So we're talking about the lived experiences in our lives that lead us to create and listen to the music that we do. Hi, welcome back to We Live in a Music Society. Um, I'm here with Reed. What's up, everyone? How you doing? So Reed is in a band called Beat Connection and has done a lot of things in the music scene here in Seattle. So he's one of my favorite artists um, in Seattle, and I got to interview him a long time ago, like three years ago, um, when I was a freshman and now I'm a senior, so it's very full circle for me. So what's been going on? How have you been? I've been great. I've been great. Thanks again for having me, Aaron. Um, this is interesting, the full circle element of it, huh? Mm-hmm. Working on the Capstone Project, this is great. Yeah, yeah. I feel like last time, I know, I know I have the audio like somewhere deep in my computer, but I think we talked about like you, you guys were doing a show at the Showbox. Okay. And it was kind of like, I, it aired like right before your show. And I, we like talked about like what that meant to you, I think, mm-hmm. like playing at the Showbox. And then we also talked about, somehow I asked you about Kendrick Lamar which was really funny because like I try to like slip in Kendrick Lamar like to any conversation I have. So I don't know how we talked about it though, but I think I was just like, I don't remember, but well, I was so stoked to talk to you about Kendrick. All right. I'll get ready for some Kendrick questions <laughs> later on then. Yeah. That was, I can't believe that was when you were a freshman it's been, that means yeah. a long time. Yeah. Dang. It's what have I been up to? That was a, that was a big, it was a very important show for us. That was a, um, a really interesting moment for us trying to like really do that on our own mm-hmm. and very proud of what we pulled off and that was that was a great show we worked so hard on that one like the music direction of everything trying to figure out which song was going to go where in the set list um mm-hmm. yeah it was a fun night and then i saw you with again with my friends like almost i think a year ish later at numos okay which was really fun. Um, we were all like underage, so we were like on the balcony. Oh yeah. And we were just like goofing off the whole time. It was really good. So, uh, was that the disaster relief yeah. show? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, and like I'm from the south. I'm from Louisiana, so like I've lived through many hurricanes, mm-hmm. and so that was like really special that you guys were were doing that for disaster relief because I was like, yeah, like that really touched me. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I'm glad to hear it. I mean, yeah. we were all really collectively pretty distraught and like confused about where where our voices lied in Mm -hmm. in a situation like that like what we could do and we just did what we did right and and decided to put a show together and that was a really affirming and and also extremely fun show it was great to be back at Numos uh I have a lot of friends who work there and uh that was just that was a great night yeah yeah that was a really fun night what have you been up to since those shows and like what's going on with you well as i mentioned we were walking in i've been working with odessa and their record label foreign family collective doing uh creative direction and graphic design so my day-to-day existence is still looking at a computer screen thinking about problem solving um just like previously but uh i am really fortunate to be working with a lot of my close friends and supporting a lot of other artists a lot of musicians who i really believe in and helping them execute their creative vision, you know, assisting with graphic design, um, finding artists who might have a certain style that's different than mine or are just frankly more talented than me. So Mm -hmm. um, it's been really fun working in something so related to the music industry, um, but also in the design realm, which I'm very passionate about. Get to do a lot of event planning stuff. Um, When we last spoke, I was probably still or had just 
stopped working with Capitol Hill Block Party. I did their mm-hmm. marketing and graphic design for a number of years and like oh, helped cool. with all the organization for that. So the intersection of all the music and, and art, visual art, all sorts of multimedia art, even event planning, uh, is really where I am the most passionate about, like where all those things intersect. So, and I guess that's what I'm doing now and I'm very, very fortunate to do so. Did you, did you study like any of that in college? Is that like where it came from or did you just kind of fall into that line of work? Um, kind of. So I studied digital art and experimental media at University of Washington and that was a very avant-garde program, but what it taught, the thing that I took away from it the most was learning how to learn. Um, a lot of that program was like, okay, make a outrageously avant-garde short film that's seven minutes long that's a response to this other wild piece of art that we just showed you uh, and turn it on Tuesday. Here's a camera, here's a computer. And that was pretty much it. Like there yeah. was not the uh, like technical training of like what exposure to use or uh, you know, like how to even like f- properly format the card to not like ruin your life when you try to export it yeah. off the camera onto the computer before you even start editing. So it was really like a very much a crash course in learning how to like create art even if you didn't know how to use the tools that were at your disposal. Yeah. And I think that being in an environment like that is, is very helpful, or it was helpful for me at least, to figure out how am I going to just get this done and have some happy accidents along the way and also some <laughs> tragic ones. That reminds me of a class I'm taking right now, actually. I'm in like a video art class and mm-hmm. my professor mm-hmm. really wants us to be experimental. And so yep. I've just gone like wild with that and I've just been making the most like crazy stuff yeah i think exploring nonlinear narratives that are still storytelling is very important and really does help you recontextualize what both of those mean you know what i mean like being narrative and being nonlinear and and developing a new style of storytelling yeah so i think it's safe to say then beat connection you all had one of the most like unique sounds like i've ever heard in a band and that's what like got me started listening to it like i was listening to y'all when I, I was still in high school in Louisiana mm-hmm. and I didn't even think about like moving up here or anything yet. How did Beat Connection form? I, I feel like it's kind of like safe to say that you all have different sort of interests in music and how did that come together to make the sound that you had? Totally, yeah. I mean, it was one of those happy accidents I was talking about. Um, I was friends with everyone in that group before we were in a band uh, in one way or another and mm-hmm. it was a really interesting, like there was definitely some naivete to it we were all very young and at the University of Washington. But that group actually started as a duo. It was me and my my close friend Jordan, um, mm-hmm. who I am still very good friends with. And we have another little project that we do some DJ sets and event mm-hmm. planning, actually. Cool. Um, that's sort of our like little, you know, non-important, not too stressed out about side project. But B Connection started out of us just being like, let's try to figure out how to get better at using these these DAWs to produce music because we had both been in random little high school bands and stuff like that mm-hmm. when we were younger and gotten tired of having to be like someone didn't show up for practice so you know someone doesn't actually know how to play this instrument let's just do it on our own and then we yeah. you know like which is really funny um came together off of that emotion of like oh screw all this let's mm-hmm. do our own thing came together and started working on music and it just sort of like blossomed from there and it really was there was no the goals were so small you know what i mean it was like oh let's figure out how to like play a house party in the u district like was pretty much what we were trying to do and we were just making the music we liked and 
um, bringing a lot of really random influences together. And then as the group grew into more people, even more of those influences came together and helped mm-hmm. that sound evolve. Um, and it really was, thank you for thinking it's unique and, and enjoying it, but it really was like just a weird conglomeration of, of everyone's influences, like from yeah. very different backgrounds and very different tastes in music. I think the first time that I heard you guys was on Anti Records like Instagram. Okay. And they had like posted a video of y'all playing like Hesitation. And that song in particular has like a lot going on. And I was like, this is so cool. Yeah, that song is a is a interesting one. I don't know if you want to dive into it, but that's probably the most like slamming everyone's tastes together, just throwing it yeah. all at the wall and seeing what happens. Because that was one where there's a there's a lot of like sampling of instrumentation in there, and then mm-hmm. recontextualizing the order of everything, which is kind of like my influence on things. Yeah, the like guitar part in that. I just I remember we were struggling with it and having Tom just like, okay, cool, just record a bunch of like halfway thought out melodies, and then I'm there was this way of doing things. I don't know if Logic still has this. I moved over to Ableton afterwards, but at the time you could comp all these takes in a stack and mm-hmm. then you could select pieces of it. And I just selected random pieces and like made probably a, like a visually pleasing like pattern. Oh, and I was like, cool. oh wow, it sounds kind of good. Move things around a little bit. And then, you know, Jared, the, all the like the polyrhythms and drums and that came from his background with percussion. Mm-hmm. And then that whole song, that one did take a really long time to like bring everything together, but um, that is probably like the best distillation of everyone's influences in one song. That's such a unique song. Also on Product 3, my friends and I love listening to it and we particularly love air conditioning. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and how that came together? Uh, That one also was one that took a really long time. Mm -hmm. So that one started as a demo that I made. We got some like new software or something. I was really excited about it. I remember at the time we had a studio down in like Soto and I was living, I think I was living in the central district at the time mm-hmm. and I would have to take a bus there. I didn't have a car and it just took forever. So whenever I got there, I was like, all right, that sucked. I'm going to stay here for like as long as I possibly can Yeah. Uh, before I got to go to work or I got to go to bed or whatever it was. So I just remember like starting that one on my own, a very little embryo of it. Um, but I chose a key which I don't know all that much about it, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. But I chose a key that wasn't possible for Mark to play bass on a regular four-string bass guitar. He had to play it on a five-string bass to hit the notes okay. that I was hitting. Because yeah. if he went up an octave in that key, it sounded just not quite right. Mm-hmm. So we had to try to like figure all that out, find someone who had a bass like that. or I don't remember if we borrowed one or rented one, but like yeah. little things like that. But yeah, that song, uh, that was called SFJ for a while. It was the acronym for Serious Fuck Jam. <laughs> Because <laughs> um, it was just like this song. That was like by far the most like f- I don't know sensual I guess track. Where like mm-hmm. I'd never done anything so laid back and just kind of like I don't know. It sounds like you're like hearing from a lover or like talking to one type song before. So that was like kind of our like joke name for it. And we had to come up with one like how, mm-hmm. how do we like enunciate this song and like the the true intention behind it without any comedy that we're using to break the like whatever creative tension was in the yeah. room. You know what I mean? Uh, and that's where air conditioning came from as the title to like express like, oh, this is like a soothing thing that's going to make the vibe better. So what's like the concept around the name like Product 3 and all the design that went with it? We had a, a series of pretty bummer experiences in the music industry. Mm-hmm. Primarily around like label people at record labels who were passionate about the music we were making 
suddenly like quitting or moving on and then we're stuck with a bunch of people who don't really like they're like we don't really care we're not gonna respond to your emails like these things are not gonna be like well tended to yeah and we had one serious issue with management and and it was the title for that record basically comes from like one conversation that we all like really took to heart where they were like you didn't give us enough content and and now being a little older like I understand where they were coming from a lot better than I did at the time but we were kind of like offended by that because we were like we gave you a record we gave you all these pieces that we needed for the album before product three mm-hmm. um so before we started working with anti we and our manager at at, the, at that time for that record and all that we had this like already guiding principle about like the music we were making you know it was what we wanted to make but at the same time it was going to be like commodified mm-hmm. for spotify streams and like ideally we were always like talking about I was like, oh man, we're so broke, but like best case scenario, we're making music for commercials for products we can't afford. And that was kind of where the, like, our, it was our third record and just like kind of a joke name. It's not very descriptive. Like it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's not something that I would hear now and be like, I want to listen to that now. I'm, yeah. That's kind of dumb. So yeah, I mean, we <laughs> fell on our own, our own sword on a lot of those things. It was like being, trying to be a little like snarky with it or some shit like mm-hmm. that. And that's what we were trying to do at the time. I'm still super proud of it, but like it is funny to look back on it. Like the reason that has that title is because we had some bad experience that we let guide the art, which maybe is not the best place to come from when making art. How was your How was your experience with Anti Records? Like a lot of my favorite bands are on mm-hmm. that label, so I've always been curious about them. It was great. They're very um, very supportive. They really wanted us to experiment, and it, we started working with them after that record was was done. So we wanted to just like just create the record. We wanted to just make the record and do things on our own until it was done. And we had never, I've never experienced any record label or anyone really being like, you have to do it this way. And you have to do it this way because you have to do it this way. You got a contract. No one's ever done that to me. I'm very fortunate in that regard. Um, And Anti certainly was not like that at all. But at the time, we really wanted to just like, we're going to just create this. We don't need any outside influence. We're just going to do it. And create our own artistic vision in a vacuum and then bring it to a label. And that's what we did. And Anti was very supportive and really like stoked on the record. Yeah, stuff. I mean, I don't think anything really is supposed to, with like, if an artist were just repeating themselves over and over again, it's not very exciting. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that happens a lot with bands. And that's the reason why they, one of the reasons why they break up. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. It's like this, this artistic process, the way that those people collaborate has run its course and it's time for everyone to do something differently and I think that that's just part of the natural progression of things yeah uh, but now working for a record label it's very interesting to see how important that support is for an artist and mm-hmm. I'm thankful to have the perspective from being an artist to know like oh this maybe this is a better way to communicate with them and and again I was talking about how I get to work with many of my friends it's very much everyone who works there is an artist as well and you know even if we're doing an Excel spreadsheet or something mundane like that it comes with the idea that's like, oh, we're helping an artist, you know, execute their vision, and yeah. we're do, we're doing something important here for them, and uh, that's really cool. To everyone has a perspective, and they're not just like, yeah, I'm here to get paid, man. I'm f- finish this up. Let's hope we get a gold record so I can cash out. Um, there's <laughs> yeah. just none of that mentality. Yeah, and I don't think there ever was with anyone that I've that I've really worked with in the music industry, which is very nice. Yeah. 
Well, I want to switch gears a little bit onto more focus on you. So I love thinking about our childhoods and the way that different experiences, um, people in our lives like have influenced our music taste and the music that we end up creating mm-hmm. if we do. So if you can remember, what did you used to listen to when you were growing up and how did that influence later on and be connection? Uh, that's a good question. I... I think I've always been exposed to a lot of pretty diverse music in one way or the other. I So I grew up in the Boston area, and the first CD that I remember buying was a Spice Girl CD. And <laughs> that was certainly not what my parents were playing around the house. That was like a lot of Elton John and also Bob Dylan. Like That was kind of like Elton John on my mom's side, Bob Dylan on my dad's side. Mm-hmm. Those are pretty like, you know, don't necessarily mesh all that well. Uh, and then I think I was just like, yo, I'm out. I'm gonna go listen to some Spice Girls. But also I remember in the backyard of this house that I lived in, uh, it it shared like a, I guess our backyard was right next to the uh, Portuguese cultural center of this town. And they would have all these parties in the summer where they just play like mid nineties reggaeton. Like, and I had to go, I'm like six. So I gotta go to bed at like nine o'clock, mm-hmm. maybe earlier. And there's bumping this music and I'm laying in bed. The sun's probably still out and I'm just listening to at the time it was like Ricky Martin and stuff like that but I wonder I don't know if that's ever really like come through in my musical taste but like that's kind of like those are those are four corners of a square that were part of my early musical experience and then I just like was always curious about pop culture I mean I was talking about how I am very intrigued by the intersection of like visual art fashion music events things like that Mm -hmm. and I think that's that has just for one reason or other been something I've been interested in since I was a kid and originally it was like what's going on in pop culture you know sports all this kind of stuff um in its most embryonic form moving out to the west coast I got exposed to a lot of the like Portland indie stuff in the late 2000s early 2010s and that was extremely influential I remember going to see a show I think it was like The Who at at the time it was the Rose Center I think it's called the Moda Center now in yeah. Portland oh yeah and like I saved up all my money from a minimum wage <laughs> job to get a nosebleed seat ticket and to see like frankly like very talented musicians but like some old guys yeah. play old songs and I was like what am I doing screw this I'm not paying more than like five bucks for a show so then I got really into this like weird house party shows that were like very much like some embryonic Portland art scene or like punk rock shows in mm-hmm. also random places usually in Portland and these are all like extremely disparate influences that kind of all just like mesh together and I think I'm a in a lot of ways is like a product of just being on the internet too you know I was out there mm-hmm. downloading one song at a time off torrent sites trying to complete a whole album that I could only hear like the 30 second preview of on iTunes yeah and that's kind of like I was I was trying to like collect all those things from all these different types of music and that's kind of what happened with B Connection it was like oh what if we do like this type of song structure and I still don't really think that I have the language to really really talk about most of it but oh let's make a song that sounds like this type of scene in a movie and let's arrange it like this hip-hop track where it's like super short intro that's really chaotic and then we're going to go verse chorus verse chorus little instrumental bridge outro and that's it and mm-hmm. or maybe let's do this one like a dance song that's really long and sprawling and we yeah. have these like long building parts and then bring the kick drum in at a hi-hat type thing um, and using those like as analogous language to talk about like how to even write a melody 
and stuff like that. So that was sprawling yeah. and didn't make any sense. No, that does make sense. And I mean, again, I was one one fourth of that, yeah. and there's there are three other people, or depending on what stage of that of that uh, project, at least one other person who had a similar like chaotic musical upbringing that re- involved a lot of like early internet, just everything suddenly being presented to you in the same way when you're quite young. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it used to be that there was like very regional music. You'd be like, this is what I'm into, right? Like, yeah. I'm from Memphis. I listen to this. Or yeah. I'm from the Northwest. I'm into grunge. And that everything moved a lot slower. You know, you had to get it over like what, whatever was in the record store that someone recommended or like you read about in a magazine or got on mail order. And now suddenly it's just like, I can go to one website or one torrenting place at the time or now Spotify. And it's just like, you got rap, you got rock, we got pop, we got Latin, we got, and any other number of genres beyond that. Yeah. And when you're young, there's, and now I think thankfully for me, as I get older, I don't see as much division between any of those things, mm-hmm. but I don't see any, I don't think I saw any need to be like, oh no, no, I'm just a rock fan. I'm going to listen to that. Yeah. It was just like, what's going on over here? Let's listen to it. Yeah. Something that's common in like a lot of the music I listen to is that I, I love artists who like sort of blur the lines of genre. And that was one reason why I really loved Be Connection because like there, it was so clear that there were so many different things going on and like so many different structures of music. And that's why like I love Frank Goshen, for mm-hmm. instance, like he does a lot of similar things. It's really, really hard to say like, oh, Frank Goshen is just like R&B or just rap or like whatever you want to call that's it. That's very true. Yeah. I think so, more and more artists are starting to be more and more diverse with what they pull from too. I heard recently that This is where I'm going to bring up Kendrick. Um, His new album is supposed to be more like rock inspired. Okay. I don't know if there's any truth in that, but I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. I wonder what rock inspired means now. You know what I mean? Like, because I'm sure like many artists have, who have said, oh, this record is inspired by seventies soundtracks to Westerns. Yeah. What? No, it's not. (laughs) No, it is to me. Yeah. Um, So I'm curious what that's like. I mean, Kendrick definitely had that metal drummer in his live band for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like there's a lot of influence I think in the in the live shows for. Oh, it's really interesting to see how like a lot of rappers will have musicians who maybe like. I don't know if Kendrick's a good example of this. But, uh, there's a lot of drummers in hip hop whose background is in like gospel music and like a lot yeah. of those like that style of traditional playing, but they're like, oh, I got to do this live show. I'm good enough at drums. I'm going to do some of this metal stuff. Mm-hmm. And then that all, you know, like cycles back. And then there's a bunch of like rock and indie bands that are like, oh, we got to put some electronic stuff in here. We need some trap yeah. drums. We need a hi-hat with this program yeah. in this and put it in this. And it's like all these things are now cross-pollinating in a really interesting way. Yeah. So I wonder in 2020 or whenever this record comes out, what being rock influenced will even mean? It does kind of speak to that. Like since we do have access to like everything on our computers people don't just listen to like one thing anymore yeah i think tyler the creator had a really poignant comment about that at the Mm -hmm. grammy awards when he was interviewed afterwards about winning best rap album or performance whichever it was and and it speaks about you know like how genre is disintegrating what other artists do you like right now in any like category that you're talking about like whether it's music or pop culture or fashion that you think are doing like interesting things uh i'm a huge caliucci's fan Mm-hmm. I think that um, she is part of the beginning of an, another wave of, of Latin influence in pop music that is from the start blurring genres. Like mm-hmm. there are many, many artists doing things, not to say similar, but like in that same realm as her. But I think that 
her approach to it from the beginning of her career has been really interesting. And uh, man, I need to listen to more music. It turns out <laughs> um, I've been I've been enjoying the new Muramasa record. That one mm-hmm. made me feel pretty old too because I was listening to it and I was like, damn, you know what? Kids really should smoke weed and like <laughs> hang out with their friends when they're like 17, 16. Yeah. And then I was like. Dude, that's like some real dad vibe thing <laughs> to think about this record. Uh, but that one is just like an interesting... That that record, I think, represents the disintegration of genre, too. Mm-hmm. Um, Raw Youth collage, collage being like... This is an artist who is known primarily for making first effectively EDM music and then like pop EDM. And now he's like, oh, I got to just bring some punk into this because I don't want to be classified. He didn't want... Uh, yeah. An interview I read with him, he explicitly did not want to be an artist that was classified in a genre mm-hmm. um and i think the like the like sort of like aggression but simultaneously pulling from many different genres of primarily british music and his mm-hmm. in his art is really interesting i'm really bad at answering this question like <laughs> i i listened to music for at least four hours today yeah. And I, now I can't tell you what artists I like. That's ridiculous. But yeah. for some reason, I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> no, I do the same thing. Like, people ask me, like, what do you like to do? And I'm like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I do things every day, and I don't know what I like to do. Like, yeah. It, yeah, it's like that. Um, I guess in that realm of, of questioning, I am really into, like, sampling in music. I mm-hmm. think it's a really interesting, like, sonic collage element. I think it's a really interesting way to give life to music that may have otherwise been forgotten. Yeah. Um, obviously, there are like, I'm not a fan of like plagiarism. I think it should be a little more like open and like yeah. honest about it. Uh, and I think it's interesting that music and visual art are one of the few places where it is like pretty open and honest. If you mm-hmm. want to do your research, you can find these, you can find the answers about where did this music come from. Um, I really do think the like question of authorship is an interesting element of it too. Mm-hmm and ownership and all that like if you license a sample are you now the author etc like all these sort of like meta um stacked atop one another type questions but uh any music that recontextualizes other music is instantly appealing to me yeah yeah i totally agree i remember like listening to music with like my dad on the radio or something Mm -hmm. and he would be like oh like is this rap song like using something that was like from like a rock band in the 70s yeah. and like he didn't like it and I was like no this is so cool like don't you see like what they're doing and he was just like no like mm-hmm. I don't like this but I think it's really cool I've also like always loved sampling and like just thinking about songs and like different ways and like way we like ways we can restructure them and yeah. like you said like bring new life to them I think that's so cool one of the things I'm really interested in is like how we learn about not only artists but like ourselves when we listen to music what do you think you've learned about yourself through the process of like listening and also creating music? I would like to say patience, but I don't think that that's actually true. <laughs> um, but I think that uh, artists who are able to make music that is patient, I'm not, and I'm not talking about like a 10 minute long song, sometimes it's a two minute long song, mm-hmm. um, but knowing like what is unnecessary in a song, I think is very important. And I think that's true in life too. Um, there are so many like uh, just I don't know like you could bring up any number of artists and f- to be dramatic let's bring up like Little Pump like he, that, those songs don't have anything extraneous in them they're like just here's this here's this stupid little melody it's gonna yeah. be stuck in your head it's a minute 45 seconds long 
I got rainbow hair. You're not going to ever forget about me. I'm out. Yeah. And uh, that to me is like extremely impressive. Um, so with working on music and listening to music, I think it's uh, like the economy of of expression. Like there's no need to make the song eight minutes long. There's no need for me to like in my day-to-day life like try to make everyone feel perfect all the time. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it just needs to be what it is and that includes being chaotic but that also includes removing anything extraneous. Yeah. So it's very paradoxical and kind of hypocritical in a lot of ways but that's that's what I've learned from watching music change over the last couple of years and myself change is yeah. that it really has to do with like is this art conveying the point are you conveying the point in your real life and is it is it music that is like startlingly patient and and beautiful for its economy of of elements how do you see music in your future it's a fair question uh i will i mean i am and will be a lifelong fan of music whether i'm making it or not whether i'm working in a group or whether i'm working on music by myself whether i'm purely just a fan of it or working in an industry that's supporting it peripheral to it whatever um, and I think there will always be a lot of change, but I think a lot of it is kind of cyclical and almost like a pendulum. You'll see like very like pop oriented music being very popular. And then that pendulum will swing over towards something that's a little grittier, a little more raw, uh, you know, expressing a different set of emotions. And the same thing can be true for like the, the sonic elements of it. You know, EDM will get really big and then that'll swing back to like, okay, we're going to go a little more like indie folk music will ha- definitely have another resurgence again sometime mm-hmm. soon not personally a huge fan not super stoked on that but it's gonna happen and that'll yeah. be fine and there will be beautiful and incredible music that comes out of it um but i think it is just gonna be a constantly swinging pendulum that gets pushed by innovation uh in any genre mm-hmm. and i think that that's what really captivates people there are so many so many artists who have not yet found their voice who make art that is imitating another artist and many of them do find their voices and unfortunately some do not but uh the ones who come out the gates with a brand new voice are what pushes this whole trend in a new direction and it it happens at least once a year there's some startling new artist who has something that you've never heard before and they almost always go from basically unknown to like extremely famous really fast yeah sometimes they don't but in either case that music is like always going to exist and I have no idea what it'll sound like because it's always been different and I'm excited for it because when it happens I'm always like oh this is brand new and this is dope it's instantly it has all of the touchstones that you need to like understand it but it's also brand new artists like Frank Ocean Mm -hmm. or I would even say like like Roddy Rich came out Mm -hmm. of nowhere yeah you know not really he had the two Feed the Streets mixtapes but like that track got got so huge and he sounds like almost like Young Thug on a west coast beat doing like a t-pain type yeah. flow oh my but God. he's also a super hard rapper and yeah it his interviews are incredible too that guy is so focused and is so like reserved mm-hmm. i'm impre- amazed by that oh my god that i'm guy. so glad you talked about rowdy rich like i don't know why but i was just like su- i got super into him recently mm-hmm. and i've been listening to him nonstop. like i love what he's doing you should right watch- have you seen any interviews with him I've only seen like one or two. There was one, I think it was on the Shade Room or something. I don't remember exactly how it went down. They asked him about like signing, like where he chose to sign. And he's like, 
and like in relativity some other artist and he's like i don't speak about other people's business except to their oh face God. and i was just like i love that <laughs> yeah i mean that's and again like that innovation there for him is just like bringing a lot of melody back to back to rap and that is so simple and seemingly so obvious but no mm -hmm. one did it and then he did yeah and there's so many artists doing stuff like that and it's amazing when it does bubble up to the top it's like so interesting to see how the media influences the way that we perceive artists um and i think it's really cool to see specific artists like roddy rich and i think to an extent like recently i've been looking at like interviews from like the baby mm -hmm. and he is like really really careful about the way that he comes across over media and understands the media really really well well i think it's interesting that uh as people spend more of their lives inundated with social media and understand that as an element of the media that, that you're talking about, they learn what they can and can't control about the narrative they present. Yeah. And for a lot of people, that's like, okay, well, if I can't control this narrative, then I'm not going to do anything on that platform because when artists put something in a song that they, I mean, you assume that they are making this and this is what they want to say and they yeah. mean everything that's being said in this. And, you know, speaking about, like, rap as storytelling uh, in this situation, like, many of these artists are less engaged on social media and and some of them are hyper-engaged on social media because they realize, okay, I can't necessarily control the narrative that's going to be spread about me, but if I am constantly adding input to it, then people will get the gist of it and everything will just constantly move on and be washed away. Yeah. Um, like a conversation would and, and things like that. And it's just very interesting how that is influencing everything, I mean, yeah. truthfully, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool to see how artists like control the narrative around them or or don't, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, true, and I mean, another element of like, when, the, when an artist writes lyrics, you're assuming that they're saying what they mean to say, but sometimes what they mean to say is like a vague gesture that's meant to be implicit and interpreted by someone else, and mm -hmm. it can't, it can't necessarily like be put under the same microscope that a, like a caption on Instagram can yeah. Um, yeah, because it's meant to be viewed as art and it, and it is. So you said earlier that you like sports, right? Uh, I think I brought up sports as, a, as an influence from my childhood that was about culture. Okay. I do like sports, but if you ask me anything about sports right now, Aside from the most cursory, basic thing, I will probably go ahead and do your best. Let's see. If I okay. No, I was just going to ask you, like, what sports you like if you okay. do and, like, what teams you're a fan of. Uh, I mean, I like the Seahawks. I like all Seattle teams. Mm -hmm. uh, dislike the Patriots. Yeah. I still a fan of the Red Sox from childhood. I was very into baseball when I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. But I was out there, like, memorizing stats and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It was weird. <laughs> um... That's about it. I mean, I I, re I like sports for their cultural impact. Again, you know what I mean? Like the the way that uh, athletes become celebrities who influence culture with people like Colin Kaepernick or with the passing of Kobe Bryant, how mm -hmm. much you see their influence on, you know, like with Kobe Bryant about being, being proud of yourself, including your flaws and the work ethic that he instilled in a lot of people yeah. in the United States is really amazing. Yeah. Uh, and same with Michael Jordan and stuff like that. But when it comes down to like, oh, this team's going to win the championship. I've got nothing for you. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, I play that's fantasy where football I was going with some with friends. I make the trades. I care <laughs> about it. But like, I, I'm not like, 
I'm not a sports fanatic, no. Yeah, no. okay. That's kind yeah. of where I was going with it, though, like the cultural aspect of it. So you went there, you answered it. Mm-hmm. That was perfect. I think this has been a pretty comprehensive conversation here. Yeah. I mean, I hope that this is as beneficial as possible to your to your studies. Uh, I hope whoever listens to this, there's something meaningful, and I didn't sound like a jerk. Uh, <laughs> thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. It's been really awesome to interview you, part two. Yeah. Um, a lot has changed in the past three years, so it's really nice to to talk about that. Very true. So. Are you going to grad school? Will it be a part three? Um, you start a radio show? Listen, like maybe. Okay. I don't know. All right. Um, you got my email. I'm sure I'll contact you again cool. in the future about something music related. So For real. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks again for having me, Aaron. Thanks for listening to We Live in a Music Society. Hit the subscribe or follow button to be notified when my next interview comes out. I'll see you on the next episode.